welcome, welcome, welcome to today's Born Human podcast. It is my absolute privilege today to introduce to you my guest, Amy Williams, MBE. It's not very often you get the opportunity to sit down with an Olympic champion, chew the fat over what parenthood looks like for them, and and just have a really candid conversation, I suppose, about real life. And so I feel very fortunate to have been able to have this conversation and share it with you. When I first set this podcast up, what I wanted to do was create an environment where we looked at the parallels that can be drawn between different people's experiences. And for sportsmen and women, certainly elite sportsmen and women, there is a huge transition that they go through when they finish their time and end their career in sport and move into more mainstream lines of work. And what struck me was the parallel in that between life before and after children. And so what I wanted to do with Amy was explore her journey in parenthood, but also spend some time thinking about what that transition felt like for her and how it was to cope with it. I suppose what I wanted to do was recognise the fact that we're all human, no matter our status or situation, we all go through similar journeys regardless of how that journey presents itself. So I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. I'll leave you to Amy and I having a chat. Okay, so welcome to today's Born Human podcast. I'm very lucky today to be joined by um, an Olympian, which I think is quite relevant to, even though we won't be releasing this live, um, quite relevant to what's happening in the world these days. Um, we're in the middle of the Olympics at the moment. And so today I'm joined by Amy Williams. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Um, Amy's someone that I've come to know through a friend of mine and uh, she's had, I think, fair to say, a few transitions in terms of career and identity over the years. And so what we were hoping to talk about today was uh, identity and kind of how that changes in parenthood and just looking at her journey in parenthood and how that came about, really. Um, so, yeah, so how let, tell me a little bit about your family, Amy, and kind of how that came to be and how old your kids are and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I have got two children, two boys, wild boys. Um, so Oscar's the oldest. He is four, I guess nearly four and a half. We'll be going to school soon. I'm on that countdown last month of freedom. And then Alfie has just turned two. Okay. Um, and then my husband, Craig, he is in the military. Um, so he's in the army. And then there's me and, mm. oh, and we can't forget Captain the Cat, who is also a boy and who thinks he's actually a dog. So that that's the family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Integral part of the family. Yeah. He is definitely, but he was my first fur baby <laughs> um, before the two boys. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's family life. And yeah. we live just on the edge of Bath um, in a house that I love. I'm yeah. such a home, home bird. Yeah, yeah. Is Craig uh, away a lot with the army or is he kind of based locally or...? So at the moment, he's um, at Yeovilton, so it's about an hour's drive commute. Yeah. He can't beat it. You know, yeah. every day it's a solid hour there, solid hour back. So, yeah. I mean, he leaves anywhere from half five to half six in the morning yeah. and is mostly home anywhere from seven till half eight. Yeah, so yeah. it's long hours, long, long days. Yeah. Um, so when we first met, he was um, around Basingstoke, so he commuted yeah. um, and then you know, we got married and he, he slowly came this way. Um, so yeah, he, he's been different places at RAF Lynham, um, 
But yeah, so he's moved around. When we when we first got together, actually, he did it then his last tour of, of Afghan. Mm. So that was kind of three months away. Yeah. Which is quite, you know, strange when you're first dating someone yeah. and it's already like, see ya, <laughs> see you in three months. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did survive it. Yeah, um, yeah we, we got married just after about a year of meeting each other. Yeah. Few few weeks after meeting, we were like, "Oh, this is probably it, isn't it?" I think you know, married? don't you? Yeah. When yeah. you're a bit, when you've kind of you've worked out kind of what you want and what you don't want yeah. in people, and uh, I think that's the beauty, I suppose, of meeting people a little bit later in life is that you get that opportunity to kind of be a bit clearer and mm. kind of go on a first date and be like, eh, "Bit cut, you know, <laughs> you, yeah, that's great, but that's not so great. That's not yeah. so great. So we'll move on quickly rather than spend six months trying oh, to find definitely. out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there would be no second date if you didn't answer the, like, do you want to get married one day? Do you want to have kids? <laughs> like, you know, tick, tick, tick. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. We'll get a second date in. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe I'll um, Yeah, no. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of happy, you yeah. know, everyone's ticking along and yeah. the boys just keep me busy, like, 24-7. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted children, like, from a young age kind of thing? Or was it... Um... Yeah, I think, you know, I guess most teenage girls and all the rest of it, you just think, oh, by the time, well, in that point, you're like, oh, by the time I'm 25, yeah. I'll be married and have kids. And yeah. in reality, you get to those 28, 29, 30. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a twin. I've got a twin sister okay. and an older brother. Well, he's 18 months older. Yeah. So my poor mom had three kids <laughs> under the age of whatever. Um, but yeah, when my sister um, was pregnant and had her first child, Chloe, who's eight, nine, um, you know, that that sort of had that real connection of suddenly like, wow, what does it feel like to have this little human and that yeah. little person say, mummy, mummy? Like, so yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a mum. I was like the village babysitter growing up, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, clearly, you know, it did happen later because I didn't meet Craig until I was. Well, my maths is horrific. I don't know, like yeah. 31, 32. Yeah. And, you know, first child, I was like 34 with Oscar. Yeah. 35, 36. Yeah. 36, I guess, with Alfie. So, you know, if I thought that however long ago, you're like, I'm a really old mum. Yeah, but yeah. actually, I feel really young. I kind of feel this day and age, actually, people are having children a lot, lot later. Yeah. And what you used to think was really old as a mom, I'm like, I still feel like I'm probably too young to be a mom. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think things have shifted a lot. Um, totally. I think we're definitely done with our two. Yeah. I'm a sort of never say never, yeah. but no, like so, Craig's yeah. a definite, two healthy boys, Thank you very yeah, much. Done. I'm Let's like crack on with life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's not do the no sleep again and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going through that again now with the little one. Took took the side off his cot. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be done, doesn't it? One day. Yeah. But. Let's just say few hours sleep a night now because he thinks it's hilarious getting up, getting down, getting up, getting down, giggling yeah. in the corridor at two a.m. You know, mummy, mummy, <laughs> like refusing to go back to bed. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of a struggle long, right now. How long has that been down for? How long has this cycle? Um, we're on night four. Oh, okay. So it's pretty early days. Early days, yeah. But, yeah, but hellish, sleep, hellish for a period. Yeah, sleep deprivation is full on. Yeah. <laughs> you sort of think it's over, don't you? Like after the baby phase, you sort of think, oh, the sleep deprivation should get easier. And then our little boy is, you know, like perfectly capable. It's nearly six. Perfectly capable of going to the toilet on his own. If he needs a toilet in the night, he gets down out of his bed, he can go to the toilet. But he's got this habit of like coming in 
whatever hour it is and going, can you come with me to the toilet? Yeah. And it's like, I just don't want to fight at this time of the morning. I just want you to go back to bed because I'm really tired. So I'll come with you and do nothing while you go to the toilet yeah. and then you'll climb into your own bed again. And that'll be that. Then it's like, will you stay with me for a bit? And, and it's like, yeah, okay, I'll come back in a minute and you, you make your excuses kind of thing. But it is like, at least it's short-lived, I suppose, just, well, to some extent, you know, there's like, you don't have the kind of, hopefully don't have the hours at a time where they're not sleeping or mm. whatever. Um, and you for, you forget as well, I think. Do you find that? Like, I I sort of, that, and we, I was actually having this conversation while we were away in Scotland last week, talking about the fact that you, you know, I said to my wife, I think, because our little girl's two, and I'm kind of just about to turn two, and we were staying in a hotel and I was like, I said to her when we put them down to bed at like seven, half seven. And basically we had to, we sat in the dark for the rest of the evening, which <laughs> yeah, is not and, talking. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> You've got like headphones on kind of quietly turning the brightness down on your phone or laptop or whatever <laughs> to watch something just to entertain yourself. And, uh, we were talking about kind of how stressful it is. And then I said, I genuinely feel like I might need some therapy after, uh, because she's a little firecracker after this phase and then we both kind of said well actually you do kind of at the time it's really intense and then afterwards your brain kind of just compartmentalizes mm. it and packs it away right and yeah. forgets about it and you know you then sort of um you then kind of think about how you know you only think about the good bits afterwards don't you, you know so it is only yeah. short-lived and what is that it's that cliche phrase that nobody likes hearing it's when you're a, a parent phase. it's just a phase yeah i know it is but yeah so lots and lots of different phases yeah. it's not a phase what it is is lots of phases that just completely sideline you every time but yeah yeah correct so you your two are very different you were saying before yeah, we they came are quite on. different oscar uh is definitely more shy and quiet but when he's around people he knows and is comfortable oh he's wild and mental and a loophole yeah um but definitely has that more reserved quiet shy um side of him and then alfie the youngest oh yeah he's he's full-on like he's straight in there yeah. um definitely got that cheeky wild like he will be the crazy one i think yeah. um yeah so they are at the moment they are quite quite different and it's really lovely to see those personalities come through now and alfie's you know definitely talking more sort of stringing those three four words together yeah. and just got this little cheeky side and these little looks and it's lovely because they now just play so nicely together yeah. um and not nicely don't yeah. get me wrong i mean alfie bashes Oscar with his toy cars and you know it should be well maybe the other way around the bigger one with the little one yeah um but you can kind of just leave them be a bit more and you can walk into a room and you're like oh that's so sweet they're actually yeah. really playing nicely and yeah. I get 10 minutes off you know yeah um so yeah it's a lovely lovely age you yeah. know in in that sense and I just love seeing how they are and sort of thinking oh what are they going to be like when they're that little bit older and what are those personalities and what are their interests going to be and yeah, yeah with the Olympics going on now I TV's on 24 7 with yeah. all these different sports and we clearly want them to be sporty yeah. if we can like shove them that way yeah. um I am never going to be a pushy parent yeah. my parents weren't pushy but you know it is kind of saying look this is judo and this is swimming and this is running and this is jumping and this is yeah. cycling and 
Oscar's now doing like almost trying to do backflips on the bed and yeah. you know just just letting them see it and see what makes them excited and yeah. can they find that little spark of interest yeah. um, at this young age. I caught their synchronised diving that he did the other day, which I thought oh, yeah. was very impressive. <laughs> Oscar had his little swimming friend yeah. over, Grace, and um, Oscar is not a natural swimmer. He doesn't <laughs> like water on his face at all. Yeah. So he won't put his head under. He doesn't like being splashed. He's not going in the pool, we don't think. Oh, the um, <laughs> but they had been watching diving with Tom Daly and... Um, and yeah, they just went into his bedroom, piled up all the cushions from around the whole house, put the duvet over it, and they were on the edge of his bed doing these like non-synchronized, synchronized dives. Yeah. And it was hilarious. So I was like, I've got to film this. Like, <laughs> see, will they put it on BBC Sport on the yeah. clips? But no, and actually Tom Daly and uh, Matt had like messaged back oh, on like brilliant. Instagram. I was like, yes, get in there. Like, actually, clearly no potential here not, at the moment. Not currently, yeah. Got yeah. to start liking water on your face first. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's good though. And I think uh, you sort of, it's finding their what they love about the sport and, yeah. and whether they they may not be into sport right like our little ones are, I'm with you like it's like you want to encourage them but at the same time you don't want to be that pushy parent mm. that's a really difficult balance I think to strike because when you've got an enthusiasm for something mm. kind of reining it in um, especially presumably when you've been very good at what you do um then it kind of you you've been through that whole journey so you can kind of experience it at a level that is just like euphoric and so to be able to want to share that with your kids must be awesome but it's sort of giving them the freedom to try whatever they want right yeah. and and i guess we're quite lucky in bath that there are a lot of i guess there's plenty of places in the country where you can do it you know but bath it is a sporty place in terms of people enjoy sports so there's lots of opportunities, so we're kind of trying with our, young, our oldest on with different things at the moment. He's trying football, rugby tots, um, gymnastics. He seems to be quite keen on, but you know that took a little while to get mm. going. And you just kind of have to give them the chance to kind of try it, right? And and just see what they think of it, and hopefully something sticks. And it might not be that; it might be drama, it might be arts, it could be anything, right? But finding something they're passionate about I suppose as well but yeah for sure I think that's the biggest thing I don't I don't care what they do as long as they're passionate about something and and really give their all to something yeah yeah Yeah, whatever it might be just find that one love and passion and and dedicate yourself to that one thing yeah um, you know to achieve whatever it might be yeah so how was that for you let's I mean as for you growing up and kind of obviously your sporting journey how was that for you were you always sporty growing up that was presumably your thing when you were growing up and yeah we um I mean as a family growing up we were very much outdoor um you know as kids we just played out in the garden the whole time we didn't have a tv computers growing up or anything like that till yeah. we were at least sort of 16 or so really late um yeah yeah we sundays were kind of family days where we'd go for a long walk and dad would get us lost you know yeah. all that sort of stuff <laughs> holidays were just youth hosteling and just walking um yeah so yeah very outdoorsy and then a kid at school, you know, every school, every, every sports, I mean, you know, I, I tried to do everything, whether that was your hockey, your netball, your swimming, yeah. your athletics. And then I did sort of home in more on the athletics. So joined the local athletics club and yeah. 
two times a week, a Tuesday night, a Thursday night, my parents would drop us off. And then that kind of started to go into a Sunday morning where there was a, one of the hard hill sessions for my kind of 400 meters. So I would do that. Yeah. And then it was like a Monday night to do weights. And, you know, slowly already at the age of 13, 14, 15, I was training sort of four times a week. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was a love. It was like, I want to get better at this. I want to get faster. Yeah. I would compete every weekend throughout the summer on that kind of athletic circuit. And yeah. Indoor competitions in Birmingham in the winter. And, yeah. and that was life. That was, I loved it. They never forced me. They would support and drop you off or you'd go with the coach or they'd come and shout and yell. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's just the norm. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of uh, sort of injuries, like the shin splints are down my shins and sort of mm. compartment syndrome. So I, I, I was good. I was fast. But you got to that point that I was, I knew I wasn't fast enough. Yeah. Um, so it was that sort of English schools, competitions, um, wanting to represent GB. And my times weren't fast enough. I couldn't do all the long distance stuff for the 400 meters because of my shins. Yeah. So I definitely was in that phase of sort of looking around. What else can I do? I love sport. I want to compete. I want to compete for my country. Yeah. And so at that moment... The, the skeleton start track had been built in 2002 for those Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. Yeah. And that's just where you start that 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 push. So a bobsleigh skeleton, a different kind of uh, sled fits on. It's, yeah. it's all on kind of train tracks, so it's not on ice. Yeah. And it's just biomechanically how you can push that sled and sprint. Yeah. And I was just in the gym because I had been training athletics or whatever it was. And just got chatting to some people and that's what they did. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just invited myself along, had a go. I actually, at the very same time, had started doing a bit of modern pentathlon because yeah. that uh, they're based in Bath as well yeah. as a national training centre. So I'd started doing that, a bit of the swimming, the fencing I was learning and picking up the skills, the shooting I was, I had pretty good eye straight away and was doing really well. Yeah. And sort of just learning, um, horse riding as passion of mine, yeah. grew up kind of jumping on the back of horses and looking after them for other people. Yeah. But actually, the reason why I chose skeleton is... So at that point, it had been the Sydney Olympics. Yeah. And there was still a lot of very strong females in modern pentathlon. Yeah. So although they said straight away I could get my lottery funding and I could be straight on that squad, obviously I had a lot to learn, yeah. but I could be funded and straight on... There was a big group of girls still. So in my brain, I was like, okay, it could still take a long time to, to get, get good to and compete. To to. Skeleton had just had the Salt Lake City Olympics. Yeah. And so was at that natural phase in an Olympic cycle where lots of people are retiring out. Yeah. So there was a much bigger gap yeah. where there weren't as many females. Yeah. There was no funding, no nothing, no, you know, it was, you do the sport, you pay for it yourself. But already I kind of was like, I could be quite good at this sport still. It's still based at Bath. Yeah. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. So, and that's sort of almost how black and white and cutthroat I was. Yeah. Okay. Let's part the monumental That makes sense. Who knows how I, good I could have been. Um, but let's do skeleton. Yeah. That, that was it. That was the decision. I yeah. could be better quicker if I did skeleton. And yeah. That was that. Amazing. And and sort of say, and the team that you had in Bath was kind of all geared up for that. I mean, like the, even still now we're at where we go for walks, you sort mm. of walk past the start yeah. track and all that, right? And it's- yeah, so that, that whole start track has been totally developed from the one that I was on. It, it's, <laughs> it's changed the braking system and it's 
got a different type of sled and the timing system. Yeah. So it's they're making it more and more as realistic to ice as possible with the friction of, of the sled. Yeah. So yeah, the National Training Centre is still in, in Bath. We have yeah. all of our talent squad, all our World Cup Olympians all here at Bath. So I'm part uh, a talent mentor for the for the young lot so yeah. i'm still very much involved and i'm on the the selection committee as well yeah which only a few days ago was in here like on a zoom call like with a committee meeting yeah. so I'm, I'm very much still involved yeah. and um and actually with the olympic association i'm an athlete mentor and i do a lot of um involvement with them so actually next week i'm in london with the new future Olympians, so we're all fingers crossed that they go to the next Winter Olympics, which for us are only in seven months' time. Yeah, yeah. It's a back-to-back Olympics. Yeah, so yeah. they are very much on countdown. And I'm you know, in London for the whole day talking to those future Olympians and, and helping them out and their issues and those different um, performance um, criteria and outcomes and psychology stuff that that will come up around that whole sort of Olympic environment. Yeah. So yeah, I still really try and keep my keep your... my toes in there yeah. just to be part of that environment. I think it's a huge like the the value of kind of like we were saying earlier about the value of what you've been through and the mm. experience that experience you can't buy that experience from anyone. Right. It would funny that sort of that was a conversation that came when we watched the final of the football recently. Mm. It was like those young lads that have kind of stepped up and taken penalties in the final, I know it's not the outcome they wanted, but they'll never get that experience any other way. Mm. And they're like 19 years old. So like, you know, to have that experience at such a young age and be able to take that forward with them and carry it. And you can either, you can get that one of two ways, right? It's either from having a mentor like yourself yeah. or alternatively, it's from kind of going through it and feeling the disappointment yeah. and learning from that, I suppose. And I suppose looping that back to our own kids, that's kind of it. It's sort of like, how do we give them that sort of education that sort of teaches them to find their own way, carve their own path, lean on the right people at the right times and make the right decisions. And it is tough as a parent, I think, um, to sort of not be pushy, but sort of still give them that guidance and strength to kind of make their own choices. Mm. Even at a young age, you know, like now trying to work out what they might want to do, you know? Oh, totally. And I think you've got that day to day. And I get so many parents coming to me wanting advice on their young athletes, on their children and and in the sporting sense, what do they do? Should they push? How should they speak to them? And, And actually, yeah, in lockdown, I've written a book. I've written a book that is out there in the bookshops I'm so excited um in October and and it is it's aimed for those talented athletes the the ones that I'm about to speak to in team GB the ones who want to make either yeah their school team or the GB team or a lower level but the ones that want to reach that next level of high performance and and how do they do that? Yeah. How do they cope with the fear, the barriers, the teammates, the the parents? Um, how do they get that support? So, um, yeah, over lockdown, I was like, okay, you know, I've got to get all this out of me. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, in a book, it's written down. And almost what I've written in there, well, apart from it's kind of what I speak to business people and, and men and women, it's also almost a guide of how you are trying to do your own parenting. Yeah. And although this is for sort of sports people, there's still really good stuff generally um, of how do we want our children to cope with the nerves of going into nursery or the nerves of going into school where you just tone it down from, okay, what did I do when I was nervous before a competition? Well, actually... 
you know, why am I nervous? Let's talk about it. And the positives and negatives, that self-talk. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing, whether you're then talking to a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, or a businessman who's 60. Yeah. Actually, it's the same sort of lessons. And yeah, I think it's being a parent now, you're trying to use your own advice yeah. in a very different way to yeah, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah, well, you're applying those lo- that logic, aren't you? Which mm. is really impressive. Like, I mean, it's amazing to sort of... And I think that's so common. That that's part of the reason that when we had the conversation about doing this was the fact that there are so many parallels mm. and all you're doing is just changing the stakes, aren't yeah. you? And the stakes might be education or they might be sport or they might be kind of friendships Mm. or they might be kind of taking on new challenges but whether it be an olympics or whether it be going to nursery or going to school you know when you first go to nursery or school it probably does feel like you're in an olympic final presumably because it's terrifying and we all kind of remember some of it but not all of it um and it's just as as adults we're able to reflect on it and kind of keep those memories but kids at a young age kind of thing don't you know certainly if we think back to our own memories of being kind of four or five they're fairly uh muddy i suppose in terms of like what do Mine i remember zero. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> no memories yeah you don't really do you and uh, but yet actually they're they're really formative in terms of what we take away from them and what what we how they kind of fund our future choices and what we end up with and i think mm. It's fascinating that you, you sort of that those parallels are there and they're so obvious and yet actually just because there are millions of people going through everyday life and having kids or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean that um we can't learn the same sort of lessons, you know. Do you um you know, in terms of your obviously your lifestyle when you're an Olympian was um busy presumably and focused and all that kind of thing. How how did you find the transition from kind of getting to those heady heights and then kind of um, moving into more normal life, so to mm. speak, in inverted commas, um, and kind of because presumably you're to some degree on on a pedestal to some extent in terms of lots of people around you, lots of support, and lots of um, I'm making lots of assumptions here and having that conversation, but you mentioned like funding and those kind of things and everybody's kind of geared up to support you to get to where you want to get to and where they'd like you to get to. How was that for you kind of going from there to kind of transition to new careers and and different path for life as such as a sports person? Yeah. um, Yeah. Very different. And a lot of athletes, ex-athletes then really struggle with it. Uh, In skeleton, when I was competing, you know, we did have a certain level of, of funding. There was, you know, that staff around you that was supporting. And obviously when you're at an Olympic Games, you've got everyone there. You know, you need to bring home a medal for the sport, for the sport to continue. So the pressure on us in Vancouver was huge. We had to bring home a medal, whether it was from the females or males, one medal, gold, silver, bronze, for the sport to to stay out there we and all you know were that only medal right for i was the Cleveland. only medal from, yeah. the, from the whole games um so that medal kept our sport going and yeah. enabled uk sport and all the funding to continue funding our winter sport yeah we hear about you know sports being dropped and yeah. the bmx riders now on the tv they've self-funded themselves because there isn't any and then yeah. you've got rowan who have had millions and aren't bringing home the same level of funding so it's you know for sports 
having to bring home the medals is just vital yeah like, that's what keeps you alive so so there was all that pressure and then obviously yeah I won I continued for another few years and then when I decided to retire politics injuries a little bit of everything yeah. um I won't bore you with all of that yeah it, it's definitely a kind of okay what do I do when I wake up this Monday morning yeah uh I think it's very different whether you retire with a medal yeah. or without one. Yeah. It, that medal definitely opens the doors, gives you job opportunities. You're suddenly invited to TV shows and to do corporate talks and to go into schools and all these opportunities thrown at you yeah. because that medal did open doors. Yeah. So I very much just tried to say yes to everything. I, I was single. I had no kids. You know, I was up and down to London all the time. Um, spending a lot of money <laughs> doing all this. I was in debt for the first time in my life. You know, yeah. this gold medal around my neck and the bank was on red yeah. because I wanted to go up and down to London, go to red carpets, do all these events to be seen, to be seen, to yeah. try and raise that profile. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't in a sport that I had sponsors. I didn't have sponsorship money coming at me. Yeah. So that was quite different and probably very different to what people think. Yeah. I've read totally. articles where they've like, she's made a million overnight or yeah. she's made straight away 500,000. Yeah. No, my bank was in the red. Yeah. You know, I remember sitting on the bottom of my parents' stairs crying because I had zero money and, you know, I didn't know how I was going to do all these things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for, for me and all of it, you don't do any of that for money you know you do it for the passion yeah. of your sport and obviously then when you're not doing that anymore it took a long time to sort of get your head around everything um I would still go to the gym and actually I busted my knee on one of the biggest injuries of my life <laughs> post-retire well actually I was about to retire in two weeks uh and I was just in the gym because yeah. that's what I know what to do and yeah. I was still going in the gym and loads of athletes like what are you doing in here you don't have to be in the gym anymore and you were in this really lost place but that's what I've done my whole life yeah oh I do remember once just leaving the gym crying and sitting in my car because it was like but you've made me feel like I shouldn't be in the gym. Yeah. But I want to be in the gym, but I don't have to be in the gym. Yeah. What am I in the gym for? Like yeah. <laughs> all these questions. Uh, but yeah, I did actually bust my knee up um, testing out a piece of equipment yeah. um, for the new skeleton lot. <laughs> and it all went wrong. And basically next few days later, I'm in hospital getting my whole knee reconstructed. Oh, cause wow. I had a major, major inju injury accident. So actually, um, yeah, I was then retired, uh, learning how to walk, having to go through the whole rehab on my own because yeah. I was no longer an athlete and being funded. Yeah. Uh, and that was like, that was a real low point. Yeah. Trying to hobble along on crutches, thinking, I can't even walk and I'm not an athlete anymore. Yeah. But I've still got to now actually rehab my whole leg and body to be able to be a normal functioning person again. Yeah, yeah. And so that was quite a weird, and on hard, your own, but... and on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you try and find your passions again and you have to just start a new leaf. And I always knew my passion was in sport, but I definitely had to walk away from my sport for a while. Yeah. I remember I didn't watch it on the TV. Each winter would come and I sort of didn't really want to watch it. And I was yeah. kind of quite away from it and I think that's quite normal for a lot of athletes yeah and then it's creeping towards the next Olympics yeah and 
I got the gig with the BBC and BBC Sport and you know you're not going to turn that down you're you're in there like yeah. yes I'll go to the Olympics and commentate yeah and I get, I think that was a, a a very switching moment for me that four years later in the Sochi Olympics when I was commentating I was in Russia and I was commentating on my sport with still some a lot of the old athletes that I competed with who hadn't retired yeah and they were all fighting for a medal yeah and I had one of them at home you know and it was this real like and even now watching the Olympics in Tokyo you're like they're all going for a medal and I have one and it Mm. was a real um sort of hitting point that you realize I achieved the very best yeah yeah. when you're having those moments you're like hang on a minute I I did that take stock um yeah so I sort of come away from those games sort of I maybe with a bit more of a an oomph a passion of okay, I want to help the next generation. I do want to get back into it with the sport. I do want to help. I I also need to share my story. So I was doing a lot more corporate talks and motivational speeches, yeah. going into schools. And now, well, yeah, actually, it was only sort of on my 10th year anniversary of my medal. Yeah. I opened up my own gym yeah. to myself yeah. to begin with. <laughs> I've converted my double garage and it is an amazing gym. I absolutely love it. And that was almost like a present to myself of, no, no, like this is your sport. This yeah. being healthy and fit and having that lifestyle is always going to be part of you. Yeah. And and now it'll be nearly a year that I've had my own clients and I, I absolutely love sharing now that fitness passion yeah that sort of performance and helping people with their own lifestyle and goals and and health yeah um yeah so I absolutely love it now and that balance with being a a full-time mum but when I chat them off to nursery for those few hours each week and each you know on different days then I'm in here back to back to back with my clients yeah and you know you've got that that sort of crazy mad balance yeah doing the thing you're passionate yeah but isn't it I mean like like it takes sometimes to identify we, we talked about the fact this was about identity to some mm. extent but like that sense of like how work becomes an identity for most of us in some capacity and albeit that skeleton and sport was your passion yeah um and i guess that's to some degree a fortunate position to be in for many of us work is just a thing to earn money mm. but actually um it's really interesting when you talk about the fact that because that passion gave you the opportunity to do that as work and then all of a sudden you find yourself in that position where financially it's completely crippling you to some extent because you're starting afresh right mm. and it, it it rings of um uh one of the other guests that i've got on the podcast is a um was in the army and kind of came out of the army and and as soon as he came out of the army he he lost his um he lost his legs in an accident in a, with an IED and you know he kind of talked about the fact that there are there are moments when the minute you come out and you're no longer there it's like well you're kind of on your own now and you you're lulled into this full sense of security by the sound of things that you're given this sort of all this support around you and then all of a sudden when you no longer fit the mold for what is the objective going forward it's like thanks but no thanks and I think there's a lot of work situations where people, you know, my, my background is in banking and finance and there's many colleagues that I've come across over the years who kind of felt like they were part of something and me included to some extent where you, you kind of, you feel like you're part of something and all of a sudden the objective changes or whatever mm. and suddenly you're not anymore and suddenly you're moved off and you're expendable, you know. So trying to find, and it sounds like you've been on that journey and it's taken quite, you know, 10 years to kind of do that. 
but it it's that is a long journey to go on isn't it and when you think that the world at large would look and think well she's got a gold medal so why you know everything must be perfect and actually it's not perfect for any of us because we're still trying to work out who we are as people not mm. necessarily who we identify as work-wise or whatever um yeah i mean and it's amazing now we're, we're in your gym right now which is amazing and it's incredible to sort of see how it's molded itself and, and created an identity for you that is something mm. that's yours and your own and actually yeah. now you can you're in control of that rather than kind of being part of a program that kind of isn't your choosing yeah. anymore you know yeah um i mean team gb now are, are they've learned and they're much better at supporting athletes and having that transition and helping them transition and there's a lot more support and lifestyle advice for athletes um mm. but yeah i mean you come out and most people become sort of self-employed you yeah, know you are taking these jobs here there and everywhere yeah but like anything you can have very empty patches that there's nothing yeah. in your diary for months and months and then suddenly it's great and yeah. you have those highs and lows and yeah and I guess that's why I thought well actually I've got to set up my own business for PT just yeah. to always have that constant thing and you can pick and choose the days you want to work and how many clients you take on yeah. to fit in with that family life yeah. and still have those days that I purposely don't PT in case there are any other corporate jobs and yeah. you know suddenly yeah I'm, I'm next week well actually this week on thursday i'll be up with these new athletes with team gb and you want to sort of juggle enough of everything yeah um but yeah like you say that's taken 10 12 years yeah to sort of suddenly think no so someone when someone tells me well, what do you do i guess first of all and foremost now i say well yeah i'm a full-time mom but i'm a personal trainer so yeah I'm like, oh yeah i'm a personal trainer i have yeah. a job and then it's like oh but i also do tv presenting and corporate talks and yeah. you know you've still kind of got a lot of things to your name yeah um yeah and, and i think you know it takes a long time and i think actually yeah. speak to a lot of um ex you know world cup rugby players or cricket uh, football olympic sports and they're still dabbling they're yeah. still kind of like working out what's life what's not life yeah some are passionate and just know straight away right i want to go into you know, school teaching. And I have a lot of Olympic friends. Ex- no, you're never an ex-Olympian. We yeah. always say once an Olympian, always Olympian. Yeah. But um, ex-athletes yeah. are Olympians. And many of them are PE teachers. Yeah. Because, you know, that's where they found their slot and they can share that passion with yeah. with, with school children. And, and, and yeah, that, it's and really special if you find that. Yeah, totally. It's finding your place in the world again in a way that sort of, I guess, could you ever... Could could any sort of be it Team GB, be it the Army, be it the Police Force, or whatever whatever organisation you're a part of, that you know has such a focused goal? Could you ever provide the level of support to bring somebody down from that high kind of thing in a place where they felt like, oh, this is a smooth transition? Probably not, because you know it's it's not just about kind of well have you got the right physio have you got the kind of right financial support there are all components of it but you know by doing the soul searching part of it no one can really do that work for you as such other than whether it be through therapy or you know that kind of opportunity to explore it um but so it probably is just a journey of like going through because your focus has been so fixated on something and there is going to be a huge adjustment. Mm. And, you know, there are many things that parenthood being one of them, but 
um, you know, retirement is one that sticks out for me. Of like, you watch people kind of who spend their whole life working, and then all of a sudden they retire, thinking this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread, and all they're trying to do is find work again because they're like. Well, if I work, I kind of know who I am, you know. And we said a bit before we came on about coronavirus and kind of how that the last year or so has forced everyone into a space of maybe exploring what their um, what their true identity is and what they what's really important mm. to them in life and um, and finding that peace. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people have probably changed jobs, want to change jobs now, and. Yeah you know yeah I've sat back had those moments and the quietness and thinking well what am I passionate about what do I love and is yeah. that the job I'm in now no I don't think it is and yeah. have they got the guts now to sort of change career paths or and I think that that's kind of transition I guess I transitioned from athletics into skeleton and yeah. sort of transitioning from skeleton athlete into mother into PT whatever I think it's don't be scared to transition don't be scared to actually think I'm 45 and actually maybe I do want a career change yeah just do it is what I say like yeah you know get your get your yourself set up and you know make that transition and just be brave and go for it and I think well that's that's how I've been quite gutsy with a lot of my choices in life whether that was yeah around the Olympics uh, with equipment choices or afterwards it, it's just been that gutsiness to be like yeah, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. Uh, and I think like you said, uh, you know, as an Olympian and you, every part of your life is, is very specific. And you know, I would pop my life into a, into a pie chart, which I actually have done drawings in my book where people can like fill it out and your pie chart of whether that's your nutrition, your sleep, your lifestyle, your training, your gym work, your equipment, whatever it might be specific to my sport. Yeah. And I encourage people to do that in their lives now. And in sport, it was about finding those 1%. Yeah. You know, can I find that 1% in each one of that? Can I eat better today? Yeah. Can I eat more, drink more water? I can because drinking more water and staying more hydrated is good for your own performance in your office. Yeah. It's good to, uh, it's good for your concentration. It's good for everything. Yeah. And that one simple choice can have quite a knock on effect. Yeah. Uh, sleep, clearly, every mother and father is sleep deprived. <laughs> but, and I think that's the hardest thing for me as an athlete. I got nine hours sleep a night. Yeah. I'm a bad sleeper. I needed that. It was to do with your recovery, to be able to get up the next day, to perform at 100%. Yeah. That's probably the biggest adjustment becoming a mom of suddenly realizing sleep's not your top priority anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's right at the bottom because it's out of your control. Yeah. Um, so I think all of those kind of things and it shifts and, and changes and um, yeah, that kind of high level of performance you have to just let go of yeah and realizing sometimes your nutrition is not good today and the kids yeah. are only eating chicken nuggets and chips yeah. because you haven't made it to the shop in time and um but that's okay because they love it don't they yeah, they love yeah. a freezer meal there's a freezer meal at least once or twice a week and don't beat yourself up about it because yeah, the kids it. love it and you know they're going to eat it and they're alive yeah. and they're alive um but actually realizing you can't quite be on that high level and don't push yourself to your limits because you're not that olympic athlete anymore yeah and you can't live your life every day like that anymore yeah even though sometimes you expect it of yourself yeah because you, i suppose you you come to expect it of yourself in mm. that environment because that has to be your sole mentality otherwise you never take a gold medal home right but mm. with parenting especially 
it is recognizing that there is no perfection in it. It's just doing the best you can do in that environment and surviving really. And that that sounds, uh, surviving always feels like a really heavy way of putting it. But to some degrees, there are days when that's what it is, you know, Um, and it is just getting through. Um, But yeah, it's a really good point, I think, in terms of how how you kind of, how you can kind of relate those two things. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, it's been really great to chat to you and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to kind of see how those parallels are drawn. And I think there's lots of people that are listening to this, hopefully will be able to sort of take away that, that kind of to see that what we, what we experience as uh, mortal beings as such who aren't Olympians kind of thing. And, and don't kind of um, don't go through that experience. We, we still have the same kind of, same kind of situations i suppose and they just look different in different ways but um Mm. it's been really great to chat to you thank you for your time and um yeah i hope uh, just one thing before we go in terms of your book that is out now isn't it oh yeah Um, well not quite so you can pre-order it it's pre-order and it will be out in the bookshops on the 8th of october tell me what it's called it's called talent to triumph yeah how athletes turn potential into high performance so um yeah, I'm super excited about it to get it out there. Yeah, it sounds really it interesting. The There's lots of good things, I think, that have come out of lockdown in terms of, I mean, that's a evidence of it, right, in yeah. terms of giving you that time to think about probably in the busyness of <laughs> well, everyday life. I don't know how I, I found time. I mean, I was typing away at 10, 11 o'clock at night <laughs> or suddenly when a moment thing popped in, I'd be writing it down. And why I thought it would be a good idea to write a book in lockdown yeah. when the nurseries were shut and I had the two small children <laughs> and setting up a PT business. But somehow I've managed to do it. Yeah. And already my brain is like, got enough stuff to definitely write book number two (laughs) and i'm all inspired by watching the olympics again i'm like yeah this has not Mm. made it into book number one yeah definitely need to do another one once i've had a bit of time out (laughs) Um, so yeah i'm super excited about it how long did it take you to write it um yeah so uh what are we coming up to so uh march the lot when did lockdown first happen in that kind of march March, wasn't it march 2020 yeah yeah. I've lost track of time. Oh, Where are we now? Yeah. Oh, 18 goodness. months. So I met now. with a publisher in that March. So just as that kind of the week was about to lock down, he drove down from Yorkshire. We met up. I agreed. I signed on the dotted line. I will write a book. Yeah. And um, we are a bit behind date. Um, yeah. I thought it would be actually in my hands by now, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I've done everything myself. I've done all the diagrams, the drawings. I've drawn them all. It's Some of them have come out of my own psychology books um, yeah. that I did as sport. Yeah, so it's taken a long time. I've got about, oh, 30-odd quotes from Olympians now in it. Yeah. It's filled with world-class performers and Olympians with their knowledge and quotes. So, yeah, it was worth the wait. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, somehow I did it. Yeah. Um, coming from someone who is terrible at writing, I've somehow managed to, <laughs> to get it out there and it, it looks fab. It's really, um, what's the word? It's... Um, it's a, it's a tool book. You can you really use it, and I really want athletes to take it with them to competitions. And there's lots of tools that they can do and practical things that they yeah. can write in the book and diagrams to help them. Yeah. So um yeah, I'll make sure I, I think get often, one to you. Yeah, <laughs> I think often te- that'd be great. I mean, I I think uh, often textbooks and things like that give you all that education, don't they? And you think about kind of when people go through. I think back to when I was at university and the amount of books that I kind of referenced or mm. read. But how many of them do I remember? And actually, I think that's just because, you know, unless it's practical, then it's just taking an information to process and 
yeah. probably blur it out in different well, ways. Well, my book's but... everything. It's got all of my knowledge and experience in the build-up to the Olympics. Yeah. And then I've backed it up with other Olympians, medalists, uh, world-class rugby players, coaches. Um, and, and then they've kind of backed it up with their knowledge and experience as yeah. well. So... Um, yeah, so it's maybe book number two should be <laughs> how you apply that to everyday life and parenthood. Right? Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> that, I need to bring out parenthood. That one. would work yeah. really well. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been really great to have you on, and we'll um, yeah, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks. That's it for this week's Born Human podcast. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to Amy for taking the time out to talk with me. I think it always fascinates me how common the human condition is in terms of the struggles that we face, the things we're presented with and how we cope with them. And I think what stuck out for me in this conversation with Amy was thinking about the fact that you come off the back of a gold medal, you're still having identity issues you're still working out where you fit in the world and you would think that your life is all sewn up and that you don't have any financial worries your mental health is in a great place and quite often that's not the case but that is what the world sees because that's what the media presents to us this is a really great way of demonstrating the fact that regardless of your achievements in life we all share a common humanity that puts us through the same trials and tribulations albeit in different ways but we all go through them and I hope that that similarity and Amy's honesty here in terms of sharing her situation allows you and everyone that's listening to be able to take some of that away and realise that there is no such thing as perfection and as parents we all have very similar struggles anyway A massive thank you to Amy for coming on and joining us. I, of course, wish her the best of luck with her new book, Talent to Triumph, which is out now. So go check, 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 check it out. And we will see you on the next Born Human podcast.